This episode is part of the pool's Local Officials Stronger Together podcast series. It's one way we serve local officials through integrity, public service, fiscal responsibility, and operational excellence. As always, please direct specific questions about coverage to your member services manager. Welcome to episode 12 in the Risk Pool's Stronger Together podcast series. Today's episode is about civility in the workplace. As usual, I'm going to give you some basic information, visit with an expert in the subject, and then give you several action items to help you get everything you can from our partnership. Why should a local elected official care about employment law? I mentioned these stats before in Episode 7 about the Pool's Call Before You Fire program, but I think they bear mentioning again. According to a recent study, U.S. employers with fewer than 500 employees have an 11.7% chance of facing an employment lawsuit. If you do get sued, about one in five lawsuits results in a defense and settlement payment with an average cost of $125,000. In some cases, the employee was in fact treated unfairly and in violation of one or more laws. In others, that may not be true and the claims become nuisance claims. But whether allegations are legitimate or unfounded, you have to handle all of them very carefully to avoid liability. But this episode is about more than that. We don't just want to avoid getting sued, right? We want to create a work environment where employees can do their best, where they can focus on their job without distractions. So how can an elected official or even a city manager be expected to know all of these employment laws? Well, you really don't have to know them. All you need to know is when you need help. And both the Texas Municipal League through its legal hotline and the TML Risk Pool through our Call Before You Fire program can provide information to supplement your attorney's advice. Depending on the severity of the issue, the pool might even decide to provide you with a local attorney to help you out. So I'm now joined by Melinda Walter. At the time we recorded this interview, Melinda served as our Loss Prevention Department's Human Resources Trainer. Since then, the pool's longtime Human Resources Director, Alan Romer, has retired, and we certainly wish Alan the best. Well, Melinda has been selected to be our new HR Manager. Many of you will still get to meet her as she wraps up her previously scheduled trainings, and we're now working on hiring a new trainer for that role. Welcome, Melinda. Tell me a little bit about your career. So I worked for the past 20 years for various municipalities in the North Texas area. Uh, The most recent city I worked for was City of Saxe as their HR director. So I've grown up in the municipal world. My very first job was an HR intern with the City of Frisco, what feels like about 50 years ago. It wasn't. It was a little over 20 years ago. And I've held a variety of roles and worked my way up and have about 20 years of experience learning municipal HR firsthand. And what made you want to leave the municipal world to come to the pool? The pool has a great reputation. I have worked with the pool as a member for the past 20 years in in my various roles through HR. And I've always leaned on the pool as being that expert that I go to. And now that I've gained that knowledge, I want to be that expert for someone else. Can you tell me about the different trainings the pool can provide? It's very hard to find training that is specific to the public sector. And there are some differences, obviously, in how 
we operate on the public side versus how that private side and some of the rules are different. And so it's hard to locate that training. Um, that's definitely a challenge. And especially if you're a smaller member, to purchase training is very expensive. It's really based on the number of employees that you have attend the training. So it can be very costly if you don't have that many or you have a limited budget. So we provide the training for free for our members. And the types of training that we offer that I conduct are civility in the workplace. So it's your basic how to behave in the workplace. And we pull in some aspects of harassment and harassment prevention. But I focus more on harassment prevention for supervisors and supervisory type trainings. Uh, We'll be rolling out next year some trainings on onboarding and recruitment, performance appraisals and disciplinary actions because our supervisors in, in our public roles, and I've worked for cities that are a variety of sizes from a small city that has less than 200 employees to a very large city that has several thousand employees. And it's really important to find that right kind of training for those supervisors. And what I see is that supervisory piece is the key piece because all of our supervisors have the knowledge and the expertise to do the jobs that they're supervising. So a lot of times they're tasked with not only helping perform those functions, but then also supervise the people who are performing those functions. And so that's where I feel that they are really the the pivotal point for these trainings and that really do make a difference in the organization. And they're typically hosted by one member city, but we invite a lot of the surrounding cities to join in those trainings. Tell me more about civility in the workplace. What does that actually mean? Right now, not just the state of Texas, I would say probably around the world, not even just limited to the United States. With the pandemic and political changes, stress is at an all-time high, and that's reflected in people's behaviors. And sometimes we need to boil it back down to the basics. So I think it's a good reminder because what we're talking about is what's required to interact with each other at work. It's not my goal in these trainings to change someone's personal beliefs. I mean, if someone has been raised to believe a certain thing and that's been their belief for the past 50 years, I'm not going to change that. But what I can change is their knowledge of what's acceptable in the workplace. And that's what our focus is. What are you allowed to do at work and how can you make your workplace better? We can talk in terms of safety training that an organization should have a culture of safety. And to do that, it's got to come from the top down. Elected officials and management set that tone. Is that the same for civility training and employment law issues? When employees look at the top of their organization, what they're looking at is what is the acceptable behavior? So that does put a lot of pressure on executive staff and on on councils, on mayors. That's what employees are looking at. Your behavior is setting the tone for what's acceptable in the organization. Sexual harassment is, of course, a component of civility training. And in fact, it's a major part of another program you teach, harassment prevention for supervisors. That's been a federal law issue for many years now. But we've just recently seen some state laws enacted that may create major changes in the area. They did. And with our Texas laws, the wording in those have mirrored 
those federal laws. And so we have that commonality. We, like you said, those, while there are tweaks and changes, the basics of those haven't changed. But effective September 1st, we did experience some changes. We saw SB 45 come through, which was a change of the sexual harassment for the state of Texas. And it basically changed a few things. It redefined what an employer was or who was considered an employer prior. It was just an organization who had 15 or more employees that had to abide by this law. Well, now it's changed to one or more employees. So that means virtually everyone in the state who is in employment of even just themselves is required to abide by the new SB 45 rule. So not only is it that component that it's the the 15 versus the one, it's also who could be liable. They broke that down a little bit more into uh, the employer or the an agent of the employer or a supervisor that knows or should have known about the training. And how it previously was worded is that you were required to take prompt and appropriate corrective action. That's now changed. And now the wording is that you have to take immediate and appropriate corrective action. The issue is, is we don't have any definition of exactly what immediate means. The bottom line is that if someone makes a complaint of harassment, the local government needs a policy in place. And like you said, they need to take immediate corrective action. What happens then? It opens up not only the employer for potential liability, it also opens up the person who was involved in this process for liability because they didn't take the corrective action. And training is not one and done, especially when it comes to sexual harassment and policies. Employees have to understand what's their role in the reporting of sexual harassment. It's not only the victim who reports it. There's a requirement for a bystander, someone who observes it, to report the harassment. And they've got to know who they can report that to. That's another challenge I see in trainings quite a bit is we are very structured and as organizations, and a lot of times we follow a chain of command and we say, okay, well, you report it to your supervisor or your supervisor's supervisor, and that's your chain for reporting, or you can only report it to human resources. Well, that's not necessarily the case. There needs to be a variety of reporting options, not just their chain of command, not just HR. It really should be opened up and clearly defined so they know who they can go to. But you also need to make sure that once you have that information, that you're taking that corrective action. Now, one of the other requirements that we've seen is that the Texas Workforce Commission did come out with a little bit of definition on immediate. They didn't necessarily define what it is. They defined an example of what it wouldn't be. And some policies require victims or bystanders to report harassment in writing. And that is one thing that the TWC did come out and say is that requiring a statement or a complaint to be filed in writing is not considered immediate. So if you do receive that complaint verbally, you are required to take action on it. And do you think that every member should have a written personnel manual? Yes, because that gives having a written personnel manual gives your employees and your supervisors a resource 
to go back to and review if there's specific questions. But it also sets the standard. And we know for sure right after this conversation that we need to have a sexual harassment policy. There needs to be a policy documented. There are other types of harassment outside of sexual harassment that should be covered in your policy manual. There are other behaviors that should be covered. You know, just because a behavior is doesn't arise to harassment, it may arise to level of bullying. And that may be something that your organization decides that we aren't going to employ people who bully. And it helps set that standard. So your employees know exactly what they're allowed and not allowed to do as far as it relates to behavior. So I would definitely recommend having a policy manual and having a policy manual that's up to date. What can a member do if they right now don't have a personnel manual? One recommendation I have is either consult an attorney. You can you can certainly go with a consultant to help develop a policy manual for you. Or if, depending on your funding, the Texas Municipal Human Resources Association, with their membership, and they do have an affiliate membership. So if you're not a professional HR individual, your position may be something else with your organization. With the affiliate membership, there is a toolkit that you have access to. And they have sample policies available that are reviewed annually by an attorney that is familiar with public sector human resources regulations. So that is another resource that's available at at a relatively inexpensive cost. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Melinda, and congratulations on your new role at the pool. Okay, let's talk about today's action items. Number one, are you doing regular training for supervisors and employees on acceptable behavior in the workplace? If not, why not? The pool and many others have resources to help you do so, and you need to do this to help avoid liability should a claim arise. Next, do you have a personnel manual? Is it up to date? If not, and you're an HR practitioner, the Texas Municipal Human Resources Association has an example for you. Finally, if you have an employment issue, address it immediately. Reach out immediately to your city's attorney and use the pool's call before you fire hotline as a resource as well. Okay, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll join us next time. To review written materials associated with the presentation or to ask Scott a question, please visit www.tmlirp.org and click on the Stronger Together podcast link. Please remember that the information in this episode is provided for informational purposes only and doesn't constitute legal advice. We recommend that you review the podcast and the accompanying written materials with your attorney prior to taking action.